At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Guys, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally's most critical week as earnings and the Fed take center stage in the days ahead. The investment committee debating where your money will work best. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sikosha, Jason Snipe, Joe Terranova. We're all, we're all at post nine. It's good to see everybody. Let's check the markets today. There you go. Well, the Dow's going for 10 in a row. 10 in a row. It's up nearly triple digits right now. S&P 500, good for one third of 1%. NASDAQ trying to bounce back after worst day in a while yesterday. Uh, Shan, okay, got the busiest week of earnings next week. 30% of the S&P, 12 Dow components. You got the Fed decision. You got some mega caps on deck. You want to tell me what you think is really at stake here for a, a rally that's been pretty resilient? Well, I think if we were sitting here six months ago, the only thing we'd be talking about is the Fed, right? We'd be sitting here talking about rates, the narrative, dovish, hawkish, what's the statement going to say, what's the presser going to do? Um, I think we've we've moved past that in terms of uh, order of importance. No doubt the Fed is certainly important next week, but we don't expect any surprises. We're coming in, you're going to come out of this meeting, we're going to go to Jackson Hole, we might get perhaps a more dovish or, 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 or nuanced narrative out of then. But I think what you're really looking at is what we've been talking about, this rally in the last five weeks or so. And the importance of, number one, the um, very high expectations, if you look at multiple, for some of these mega cap tech stocks. And Scott, to your point, the read-through on the consumer. Um, I think we've got, uh, we've got Visa next week, who can, who can talk to us a little bit about flows. We're going to talk about... Uh, uh-huh. AXP, obviously. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm taking away from next week is that in, in, in the past, we were always talking about tech and then we were always talking about the Fed. How do these storms come together when we think about what our expectations are for the second half of the year? And can earnings deliver, Scott, based on these outsized multiples? Last thing, 36 times or so for the you know those top seven, only about 17 times the rest of the market. So I think the valuations are not quite as demanding for the other companies that are reporting next week. I don't know if it's going to be enough if we get some light reports from those big names. Jason, can earnings deliver, right? That, that's a good question that yeah. Shannon raises in the context of whether those stocks specifically are priced for perfection. Yeah. As maybe Netflix and Tesla showed us that they were. Um, or at least where the bar is, because yeah. the multiples have expanded a lot. The stocks have already gone up a lot. Um, that's how Wolf Research today is, is talking about things, that certain parts of the market are priced for perfection. And if you better meet that bar or you're going to have a pullback of, you know, like you saw, what, 8, 10 percent from Netflix and Tesla, respectively. Yeah, no. And I completely agree with Shan. I think a lot of these names have been priced for perception, as, as we already know how much they've already moved year to date. You look at a Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, it doesn't matter what name of the Magnificent Seven has really grown. I think actually they don't, it doesn't matter as much to the market. I think the narrative um, going into this quarter is really the broadening out, you know, other, other sectors, whether it's healthcare, materials, transports, obviously transports really doing well so far this year. So I think 
I'm focused more on names like Boeing, ExxonMobil, CV, um, you know, uh, Chevron, right, and, and other names on the market versus, you know, some of the Megatech names, because I do think, um, you know, if there are misses, we could see some of the price action like we saw in Tesla and Netflix, unfortunately. Yeah, Joe, I mean, the, the mega caps, that, by the way, Apple doesn't report next week. Let's nope. just make sure everybody yep. realizes that. You do have Alphabet, uh, Microsoft, and Meta. Um, but for those three companies alone, I mean, you, you talk about where the multiples have gone. Let's take Microsoft, for example, it was 23 times at the beginning of the year. Now it's 32. Uh, Alphabet was 17. Now it's 21. Meta was 15. Now it's 23. You know, not, you know, the Alphabet and Meta multiples are not so ridiculously outsized relative to where the S&P multiple itself is. But nonetheless, if you expand that much, you better back it up. You better back it up with, with good earnings. Okay, so in the instance of each one of those three stocks, if you don't, guess what happens? You become Netflix or you become Tesla. And you just experience the extended technicals right now uh, get corrected. And I'm not afraid of that. Right. I'm not afraid of that at all. Why? Because I think what we've learned this week is there's resiliency in the market. Over the last five days, what's the leading sector performance? Energy, healthcare, financials. So the resiliency is there for the overall market. And when you think about mega caps, whether it's consumer discretionary and technology, if we want to work off some of the extreme overbought conditions on fundamentals that are not, you know, overwhelmingly uh, beyond expectations, I'm completely fine with that. I think that's healthy. I think it's good. Do you think that these mega cap names that are reporting next week are going to meet the moment? It is sort of a moment of truth. I mean, you, you can't have stocks go up as much as they have. These are among the best performing stocks by, by a group. Microsoft's up 44% year to date. Alphabet's 35, Meta's 151. We all know what's happened there. It's no Nvidia next week and it's no Apple, but nonetheless, those are pretty good performances. Those are pretty good performances. You think These, they're gonna meet the moment or not? You know, Scott, listen. <laughs> in, in, listen. In, I'm gonna ask you 10 more times. I'll do it as many times as I have to. Let's be completely candid, okay? Many times I have to. You could have you could have a hundred people come on this show yeah. and give their view of whether they think it's gonna beat or not. The reality is no one knows what's gonna happen. No with one knows if we're gonna week. get hit by buses when we leave the stock exchange. No, we're talking about earnings. But we play on probabilities of how so we think we have a good handle on what the fundamentals are. You're telling me you have no idea, you don't have any sense as to whether these companies, the mega cap names, are gonna, gonna have good earnings next week? It, it, I mean, they, they better, the, the market's betting on it. Well, just, That's why the stocks have gone I mean, up a lot. But I, but I just inferred to you that I actually hope that they don't, because I wanna work off the overbought nature of these stocks to get them now back down to a reasonable valuation and the buying is going to be there. They've done enough work in 2023 they've, where they've reestablished themselves once again as leadership for the market. And if there is corrective price action, that's going to invite a lot of buying interest, in particular for money managers that don't own them. Shan got calls in Alphabet today, price target to 130. Meta price target to 330. Microsoft price target to 400. I mean, the firms don't, don't really matter who's making these calls, but you can continue to see price targets get bumped as we head towards the numbers next week. Well, yeah, they're, they're getting bumped because <laughs> the prices have gone up a lot. So, I mean, there's a delta there. Yeah, that you're they have chasing, to right? They have to <laughs> yeah. incorporate that. Um, I think the important thing to note, and you just mentioned this, and, and Joe alluded to it, and I think a really important point to make is that if you bought stocks 
these stocks in the first half of the year and you bought them on this AI frenzy, there's absolutely no way any of that's going to come through to earnings now. That, that, that's, right. that, this, that's, that's a future state. So to Joe's point, maybe this is the opportunity if, the, um, if there's a reset here that you know that that bottom line is going to be impacted by spending on AI. You know that in order to grow the way they did cloud, you're going to have to put a significant amount of spending into that. And so this excitement around AI that perhaps fueled some of this run in the first half of the year, that's a longer term story. So a, a pullback here shouldn't be something that surprises people because if people are looking to see this manifest in the earnings, it's just, it's not going to happen. This is a multi-year, multi-decade no, but, but story. Of course, but that's why you are willing to pay higher multiples for those kind of stocks. I mean, you're, every stock you buy, you're, you're buying on the future bet on earnings. It's just a matter of what multiple you're willing to pay for them. Growth stocks typically, obviously, have higher multiples than some other stocks because you're willing to push out your bet. But the spending that happened to grow the multiple on these stocks prior to the pandemic, Scott, was based on a zero interest rate environment where they could easily borrow money to fund their growth businesses like Azure and AWS. Sure, but they're and also the company. Now. Now, yeah, but they're also companies that have the best balance sheets and are sitting on the most cash so, relative absolutely. to all these other companies. Absolutely. They're not as beholden to the debt markets as some of these companies are great and, point. and were. I'll give you that. I agree with that. I, I also think that overall, though, there's a significant improvement in corporate balance sheets. So you can start to take that calculus and apply it to other sectors as well. But I don't disagree with you with that. But I think when we think about multiple and we think about what's happened in such a short period of time, if you're looking to validate your buy or your overweight position on these stocks in the first half of the year through earnings, that validation isn't going to come through for you. City Joe says they'd be buyers on dips is because of AI. Um, you know, look, you got the AI leaders, the tech leaders are at the White House today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the rage. It's all the hype. They say if you're going to get any pullback in some of these stocks, that they'd be buyers. And you know what? They're probably right that there will be buyers coming in because of what the story and the narrative is. So they've been listening to all of us because we've been saying that over the last month. And without question, you want to be a buyer on the dip. And I still think people are underinvested in this direction. As it relates to the contribution, the revenue contribution in this current quarter from AI, we're not going to know the real answer to that until the big one reports. And the big one is NVIDIA. And NVIDIA doesn't report until the end of August. Even Broadcom, which doesn't report until the end of August, is another semiconductor name where you could really gain strong insight on terms of what the revenue contribution is now from generative AI. So understanding understanding the, the AI uh, positive impact is something that we're not going to know for very many weeks. But I think what's important to know is even if these stocks disappoint, money doesn't want to move out of the market. Money is just rotating internally. Do we feel do we feel like tech, Jason, is on is vulnerable to a pullback? Um, Barclays today says it could retrace in the near term. They don't think that the the, the trend is about to reverse without some meaningful fundamental catalyst, which I don't know whether you think one exists or not. No, I, I, I definitely think they're vulnerable to, to retracement. And obviously, we've seen that in some of the numbers that we've already seen with Tesla and Netflix that we mentioned at the top of the show. So um, for me, and I agree with Joe, I think there's a massive appetite for a lot of these names. A lot of folks coming into this year were offsides as it relates to tech. Um, so I think that if there is some meaningful pullback, that appetite 
will will take shape and folks will meaningfully get in. I think we're seeing some of that in Tesla today. I guess part of my, my point, Joe, would be on a, you know, yesterday we had a debate as to whether this growth versus value conversation was now back in vogue because you had seen a pullback in Netflix, you had seen a pullback in Tesla, the stocks had run up a lot, some of the lagging sectors had started to pick up steam, financials, energy, and healthcare, and some of the other places that you, you had already mentioned. So I wonder whether next week provides some more color on that as to whether it's a legit conversation, if there's a couple of stumbles where you say, okay, maybe tech is, is gonna pull back a bit, and that's why you're gonna see money going into these other areas, or tech says, no, this is why We've been the leadership group. This is why the dollars have been going, and this is why the dollars are going to continue to go, because they do meet the moment. They do meet the moment of truth next week. So then we see the rotation back out of energy, healthcare, financials, into technology. That's my question. Yeah, I, I, I could see that unfolding, um, in particular if you get a really strong report from, from Microsoft. And I think what's important next week with Alphabet, Microsoft, and with Meta is understand the state of advertising spending. I, I think that's going to be it, critically important uh, in these earnings reports. But listen, the money could easily rotate back in once again. And guess what? As an investor, that's why you have to be in both places. That's why you have to diversify amongst energy, healthcare, financials, and technologies themselves. That's why I don't think you could concentrate towards a specific direction. Well, but, but I mean... It- if you weren't concentrated towards a specific direction, to you use your exact words, at the beginning of the year, you're losing. You yeah, yeah. In, in, in the true. window of six months in 2023, without question, you are underperforming. And guess what? You are probably chasing in terms of positioning because you came into the year carrying such a significant underweight to the area of the market that's concentrated. Over the long run, though, I don't know necessarily if that's the right strategy to where you want to just specifically concentrate towards seven stocks. Let's just take, you know, the long run has many potential definitions to it. Let's just take the remainder of the year, right? Do you, do you want to be more diversified away from big cap tech and some of these other names? It's not just big cap tech that, that's done well. I mean, the semiconductor index has been around a 52-week high, yeah. the, the SMH has. And some of the software names have had great runs as well. So it's not just the seven out of tech, but do, do you want to be more diversified? for the remainder of the year? Or do you still want to have a, an overweight towards technology, which you don't? I, right, there are people on the show who don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think you do either. Yeah, I mean, I think our view is that in order for us to deliver the second half rebound, which, you know, if you look back across, you know, 23 years of, of you know, of um, data, if you look at that first half, it, it, it points to, you know, the potential for a second half gain, especially when it's a double digit in the first half. I think for us, though, the broadening out, so Joe just talked about this, the broadening out is necessary. And so what I would tell you is that in order for us to get constructive on the second half of the year, it actually does need to broaden outside of technology, and it has to include companies with high earnings quality. High quality companies need to do better in the second half of the year, regardless of where they are in the market, what sector or industry, because that, to me, points to a more of a fundamental assessment, which implies to me that investors are looking at companies and saying, we're past the the point of no return on the economy. We do think that we're constructive. We think this consumer strength and resiliency will continue. And therefore, I want to be diversified outside of these names because I'm not relying on one particular theme to drive my holdings in the second half of the year. Which sector, Jason, do we think? Like, if you look at the week, one week performance, let's, yep. let's just take that. Yep. Okay. Um, financials are up 3.2% in, in, in a week. 
Uh, utilities are up 2.5%. That's weak to date. Energy, 3.3%. Healthcare, 3.4%. You know, industrials, which, you know, people like too, including UBS today, which put out a bullish note, it's up 1.3. I mean, which of those sectors do you think has the biggest probability of doing the best yeah. over the remainder of the yeah. year? So for me, I, I would say healthcare and energy. You know, I think those obviously have been underperformers year to date. Um, and, I, and I think Shannon makes a great point in just the, the broadening of the rally. And generally speaking, multiple expansion is the first leg of a bull. Right. So for me, as I as I look at healthcare as an example, the labor market is still extremely tight. That is a catalyst for for a lot of the healthcare stocks, preventative care, elective surgeries. All of that is is um, is connected to obviously a very strong labor force. Clearly, energy has been pricing in a recession, a recession that has not come as of yet. Yes, there's an uneven opening in China, but I do believe. With the labor market being as strong as it is, the Fed at the end of their tightening cycle, I think energy can get a bid here in the second half. I wonder, Joe, if you're going to start seeing a rotation like you're seeing this week out of discretionary, which, you know, for, for a good while was the third best performing sector year to date. Now there's reasons why, because, you know, Amazon, it, it, part of that, too. But it's down 2 percent on the week. Mm-hmm. If you think that, you know, outside of airline tickets that the consumers eventually going to get. Uh, a, a little, you know, less able to spend a lot of money on, on other things, then maybe that sector is not going to do as well. Maybe that's the one area that you need to keep a closer eye on. I, I would agree with that. Listen, I'm not very excited about the airline stocks. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Labenthal has done a great job with airline stocks. But listening to the American Express CEO today talking about that uh, card users are now going and dining out more. They're not really spending as much on hotels or travels. That gives me a little bit of concern for the airlines themselves. Um, consumer discretionary challenged by Tesla, challenged by extended technicals for the home builders, clearly, mm-hmm. with D.H. Hort and Lennar. Uh, that's for sure. And, and I think, you know, the, the answer to the question really in terms of what sector right now I don't think technology is going to give up the leadership. And I think technology establishing leadership in the market is a really good thing because we haven't had real leadership since March of 2020 for an extended period of time. So I will have to tell you, look, momentum and quality are two factors I'm looking at. And in both of those instances, they are probably going to act as a catalyst to have me further, okay, take more positions uh, towards overweight and technology themselves. Does that mean I'm not going to own JP Morgan or Visa in the financials or MasterCard? No, I'm going to own those quality names. I'm going to own an Eli Lilly. I'm going to own Merck um, in industrials. I'm going to own Old Dominion. I'm going to find very selectively companies in the areas and the sectors of the market that more recently are beginning to see inflows of capital. But I'm going to make sure that those names are really, really strong on the balance sheet, don't know the debt market and high in quality. Shannon, we've had some calls this week that we're going to hit new highs on the S&P this year. Now, maybe next week is where we get more clarity on that if we actually think that's going to be the case. If you get more blow up, blow the doors off numbers from big tech, I mean, the Fed, you know, Certainly, they're going to go next week, we, one would think. And, you know, maybe they set the table for September as well. Are you in the camp that you, you think we actually can hit new highs in this calendar year on the S&P? 
So our, our 48 view, and change. Our view is not quite that optimistic. I would say, you know, if you have if you want to get constructive on hitting a new high this year, um, you you really need to anticipate that we've already hit an earnings trough and that we are going to see the pace of economic deterioration slow. Um, I think that every there's been a lot of defectors from the hard landing camp over the last couple of months. Um, that was a big camp. Now there's a, a lot less a uh, lot less in there. Um, but I think one of the things that we've really looked at is in order for us to get very constructive on meeting those new term, that, that near term high, we need to think about what is economic data pointing towards for 2024. And if we want to get continued breath, you know, in, in sectors like energy, you have to anticipate that we're either heading towards a very mild technical recession or not a recession at all. And I think we need to get clarity, and I think we're going to get a lot of data in that August and September timeframe, Scott, that's going to put a lot more of us who perhaps are not as constructive in that camp if it does seem like we're moving towards um, very mild or no recession. There are a lot so, of people who are not as still not constructive, that constructive on the market. Okay. Willing to risk missing out. So take mm. take that comment, right? There's a lot of people still not constructive on the market. Apply what Shannon just said. We're going to learn a lot in August and September about the economy, about positioning in the market. Are you going to wait till then to get optimistic? Well, if I'm the, gonna, let me give you this. Train might be three stations down the uh, track. Let, let, let me give you this. Just as the calendar is turning into the month of October and the baseball playoffs begin, if the S&P is sitting within striking distance of where we're sitting right now, I will tell you, I believe you will have one of the most powerful chase for performances in Q4 that we have seen in many, many years. And that will take you above the all-time high. Is that your call? I think I just stated that pretty clearly. We will see a aggressive chase <laughs> for performance in Q4. Did you get that as a definitive call? I, I, I got that I as a call. You did? Okay. I did. I did. What about you, Mr. Snipe? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, as, as I look to the fourth quarter, and obviously that's where we're starting, is that's where earnings expectations are supposed to rise, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's where analysts are. Um, Shannon mentioned that uh, there's a lot more people on the side of the boat of a softish landing. Um, and, I, and I think with the Fed starting to slow down, right, close, really close to the end of, end of their cycle, I do think we could see new highs by the end of the year. I do. And I think on the margin, but I do. I think okay. we could do. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got two big moves in the financial space today by the Investment Committee. We'll document those uh, right after this break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. 
When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to the regional banks this week. Uh, they're rallying big time, up 7.5% week to date. That's the best week since May. Financials are the third best performing sector this week. I'm pulling up PNC on my screen because I want to see what it's been doing because Jason Snipe is selling it. Yeah. Or you sold it. You say your yeah. patience wore out. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, you know what's interesting? I think about PNC, obviously, as a super regional, and I think about the alpha generation for the really, really small regionals, which obviously experienced a, a lot of bad price action through the SVB saga, right? Stock's up 6% this week is PNC. It is. It is. And it, it was a miss on the top line and beat on the bottom. Um, but I think the deposit flows are going to the major money center banks. And I think kind of PNC is stuck in this interesting no man's land. You know, so for us, as, a, as I think about alpha generation going forward for the rest of the year and going into next year, it was just something we want to unload and look to other places for, for return. We talk about the regionals. Uh, technicals don't look good for the regionals. You know, they're yeah. the complete opposite of, of the majority of the market. You talk about the 50, 100, and 200-day moving average. They're all sloped down. You look at the KRE, it's still not even above the 200-day moving average. Right. Then you turn to earnings. You listen to what Regions Financial talked about today. Deposit growth is down 8%. Why are they up 7.5% yep. week to date then, the regionals? Regions, regionals. Re the regionals. Well, I, I think a lot of that is about the rotation that we're seeing, the internal rotation that you're seeing in the market. And investors looking and seeing, you know, uh, credit spread volatility is at its lowest level since before the Fed began normalizing interest rates. And they don't want to leave the market. And they see a little bit of a pullback. They see the weakness where you're working off a lot of the overboard conditions and technology. And they don't want to leave. And they're looking at some other, quote, unquote, value areas of the market to stay anchored and invested. I know, but I, I just wonder if this is one of those weeks where you, you realize that you, you get fed up with financials at exactly the time where you should have been fed up prior, mm -hmm. and now's not the time to be fed up. Like, if, if you're fed up with a Goldman Sachs, like Jim Labenthal was, who I'm sold not, it, yeah. no, not, not you, I'm just saying, yeah. he's representative of a, of a prevailing view that's been in the market of, oh, I'm sick and tired of these financials, they don't go up, yeah. they don't really do anything, I'm disappointed, well, what are you, are you, the danger is selling it at the bottom for a lot of these names. Okay, so I, I would agree with that premise. Um, first of all, when you think about portfolio management, you say to yourself, you have to own the financial sector. Well, guess what? You could own Visa and MasterCard right now. And both of those have performed well. In the case of the capital markets, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, even the asset managers, if you believe what I just said prior to going to the break, that in Q4 we have this chase for performance melt-up, they're all going to do well in that environment. Trading revenue is going to be strong. So I didn't agree the other day when Jimmy said he was moving out of Goldman Sachs. I'm not sure that's Stocks something I would do. Stocks up 8% this week. Morgan yeah. Stanley is his name that I'm staying committed in. But guess what? I like what Jason's doing with PNC because I don't trust the regional banks just yet. I still think there's a lot of consolidation that has to unfold. And I question whether you're going to see the needed loan growth. Are you going to see home equity loan growth? 
for the regional banks, which are so reliant upon, I don't believe you'll see that in the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen, we've seen estimates for net interest income come down across the board. And I think um, more encouraging, if you look at them from a valuation perspective, the big banks have brought those down enough to give you a bit of a cushion next year in terms of earnings. Um, and I think one of the challenges now is, to Joe's point, we are seeing tighter credit conditions. Tighter credit conditions are certainly going to hurt regional banks more than they are the big banks who just have a yeah. lot more levers to pull on yeah. the credit side. All right. Our chart of the day is also uh, from the financial space. It's American Express. Uh, shares lower today after a mixed quarter. Stephanie Link owns that stock, and she says she's buying more on the dip. In fact, she joins us on the phone to tell us exactly why. Hey, Steph, talk to us. Hey, Scott. Yeah, you know I always say earnings season is silly season because you get these outsized moves, either on the upside or the downside. you got to really dig through the details. And I know why the stock opened down initially, because they beat was poor quality. It was all lower taxes. And then you look at first glance on Bill's business, only up 8% versus the 12% expected. But then you, you look in deeper, and it's on a constant currency basis. Uh, Bill's business is up 12%. So just fine. Um, OPEX was lower. Net interest income and fees were higher. And we talk about the consumer all the time. So let me give you these two stats. The U.S. consumer grew 13%, and international card spend grew 23%. Overall, card member spend is at an all-time high. So I think that this story is absolutely intact. I wanted to use the dip when it fell and opened up down 5%. So I bought more, and I will continue to add more because this company is going to grow earnings and revenues substantially this year and will be long-term total revenues of 10% and mid-team growth in earnings. Jason Snipe, you own it. Yeah. Right? You own AXP. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I, and I really like AXP. Another record revenue quarter. I think there's concerns, and, and Steph alluded to it already, higher provisions, some delinquency concern uh, for them going forward. But 60% of their new card holders are millennials. I think that's a really nice leg to the stool for them and a, an opportunity for them to re continue to grow. And I think T&E is still strong. So I, I like the stock. Joe, you own MasterCard. You own Visa. We know about your Morgan Stanley from the, you know, the, the, the big banks. Why not American Express? Oh, American Express, the concern that I've had is the debt-to-equity ratio. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Um, looking at American Express where it is right now, clearly it has very strong momentum. I also think, and, and this is, is counterintuitive to what investors would think, and I like Stephanie's move here on buying more, uh, American Express is coming up against tougher comps. And generally, investors would be somewhat suspicious of buying into that, but, but that's generally the time. I believe that you actually want to buy in into that because you have the opportunity on a valuation basis to take advantage of any perceived weakness on those tougher comps. So um, in the past, it has been the debt to equity ratio that has kept me on the sidelines. But let's say where American Express is right now, it is certainly a name that I would consider adding to the portfolio. And I like what Steph did. Steph, before I let you go, I see you also bought more SLB. Right? The uh, former Slumberger yeah. this morning you did. <laughs> yes, there was nothing in the quarter to have the stock open down 4%. And after going through the report and listening to the company, I like it even more. They beat on EBITDA, they beat on earnings, sequential margins grew at all four segments, and International, which is 70% of the business, grew 21% in the quarter, and they had 14 out of 25 international geographies that grew 20%, and seven international geographies where they grew. 30%. Offshore is humming. Free cash flow is very strong. So I just think it was up 35% since May 31st. People took some profits. And I think it, I like it even more. So I wanted to make it bigger. Steph, I appreciate you calling in.
Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, I got to get to some breaking news. Uh, and for that, let me get to Eamon Javers right now. Eamon. Hey there, Scott. It looks like there could be a big change coming in the case of the so-called crocodile of Wall Street. Remember, a married couple, Ilya Dutch Lichtenstein and Heather Razzlecon Morgan, were initially charged with trying to launder $4.5 billion in Bitcoin that was stolen in a 2016 hack of the exchange Bitfinex. At the time, both pled not guilty. But today, the court docket was just updated to show that the couple are facing a new charging document and a plea hearing is now set on the calendar. That indicates the possibility that they could now plead guilty in the case. We've reached out to both their lawyers and the U.S. Attorney's Office for comment. U.S. Attorney's Office does not comment. Uh, no response yet from the attorneys here in this case. There are a number of mysteries still remaining, though, in this saga. The couple was charged initially with only the attempted laundering of the proceeds of the hack, which left open a mystery of whether there was another person who actually stole the cryptocurrency in the first place. And then last fall, documents filed in the case showed that classified national security information is involved in the case. Not at all clear what that could be, but Liechtenstein has Russian citizenship and the couple traveled widely in Ukraine before their arrest. Now, Liechtenstein and Morgan have been ordered to appear in court on August 3rd for separate arraignments and plea hearings on the new charging document. The precise nature of the charge or charges in the information was not made public today. So there's a lot we don't know here, Scott. Watch this space. We'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, we will. Eamon, appreciate the update you on our breaking news. Eamon Javers in Washington, as you see. Thank you for that. Let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Former Trump fixer Michael Cohen is expected to settle with the Trump organization in his fight for $1.3 million in legal fees. That from an NBC News source with direct knowledge of the negotiations. The attorneys are currently in New York finalizing the deal, which will likely be sealed. The trial was set to start on Monday. The state of New Jersey is suing the Biden administration to block New York City's congestion pricing plan. The Federal Highway Administration cleared the proposed plan to start a daily toll of up to $23 per four cars entering or remaining in New York's central business district. New Jersey officials argue the plan places a significant financial burden on New Jersey residents and the state's transportation system. And Popeyes is now selling a version of the girl dinner trend that's gone viral on TikTok. Unlike a traditional combo meal, this promotion consists of all side dishes. It's only available on Popeye's website, and prices vary based on the number of sides you order. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens coming up to find the dip. A pair of bullish analyst notes on two discretionary names hitting 52-week highs this week. That sector is dragging behind the broader market. We do have ownership on the desk, which means we debate the calls of the day next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, calls of the day. Let's do them now. Uber, 
talked a lot about it this week with Josh Brown when he was here earlier. Joe, you, you own it as well. Reiterated top pick at J.P. Morgan. This stock has been in an undeniable uptrend, obviously. It's up 50% in three months. It's up 53% or a bit more than that. Well, what is that, 88% year to date? I mean, unbelievable gain there. They'd say the price target's 55. So it's over finally the IPO price, right, of 45. You guys have done a great job calling this, and especially I gotta give Josh props. He's been in the stock a long time. He's waited and waited and waited, and now it's finally breaking out big time. All right, so I'll see you at 55. I'll raise that to 65, because I think that's where it's going. I think it's going to an all-time high. The profitability is the story. Keep in mind that you have an economic contraction in Europe, so you're not really seeing the strength of international for this company. I know we've talked a lot about the eventual inclusion in the S&P 500 at some point, if that were to occur, what that would mean. Um, I know Josh compared it to uh, what what we experienced with Tesla. Mm -hmm. But I think you just really have to focus on the dramatic change that this company has had on the balance sheet. And more importantly, I think you really have to give management credit for the cultural change. Just think about where this company was five years ago, culturally. And that is one of the remarkable paradigm shifts that Uber has experienced. So I see significant tailwinds. Um, Yes, there's always headwinds related to the macro itself, but I think you're talking about a stock where if you're patient, you will be rewarded with an all-time high above $65. It's a near double. That's a near double over 12 months. Marriott today reiterated outperformed 204, the price target at Bernstein. Yeah. It's yours? Yeah. No, listen, I mean, the stock has performed really well year to date. It's up 31%. Um, You know, we talked about travel earlier. I mean, cross-border travel is really a tailwind for the stock. 36% of their revenue comes from overseas. Um, I expect some really strong RevPAR growth at close to 16%. So I'm really excited about this quarter. I think it'll be really strong. Joe, you used to own Marriott, if I'm not mistaken, right? Unfortunately, I've missed this one. I've done a bad job in getting back. This stock got away from me. The stock, I think, is approaching an all-time high. Yep. Everything Jason's saying, I completely agree with. Um, this is a company that has benefited from the tailwind that has existed on reopening and where consumers are out there spending on hotels and entertainment. When did you sell it? You remember? Um, I sold Marriott way too soon in 2021. Oh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when we come back, Mike Santoli. He has his midday word. Welcome back, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli, as you see, is here as we look ahead to a pivotal week. Yeah, um, kind of cruising into it uh, right along this this track. S&P up 1% this week in a week where, me included, people were saying, ah, getting overbought, what do you want more from the from the big cap tech? So clearly the trend is has uh, got the upside as the default mode at the moment. Um, I, I don't necessarily think, unless the Fed decides to really change the message and say, uh, look, much, you know, even higher for still longer. But even that, I think the market is, is kind of there uh, already. Um, do wonder if this index rebalance we've all been talking about for two weeks for the NASDAQ 100 is just the excuse for people to say, 
do we need $10 trillion in six stocks? Um, and Or is, is my own personal portfolio skewed in that direction? Market still acts like uh, people don't quite have enough general exposure to the market. Well, the, the difficulty in that conversation, if one is going to going to have that yeah. is do you really want to make any adjustments ahead of many of these companies reporting earnings next yeah. week? Well, do you want to do make adjustments before that or do you want to get out of the way of the earnings? Well, it totally a, depends on uh, how you're viewing it. Yes, it does. Uh, because, you know, I said this with regard to Microsoft because it's the ultimate eye of the beholder stock. Nobody has an edge really fundamentally on a three-month basis in Microsoft. Um, you know what the company's doing long term. It's a matter of what you're paying for that stream of earnings almost everybody assumes is going to come through. So that's why I find it interesting that it's a little more about the, the kind of sentiment story around it and whether people feel like they have enough exposure to a stock that's, you know, six and a half percent of the S&P 500. But if not. you're going to deem, you know, Microsoft to be among the true pure play AI leaders yeah. because of, you know, chat GPT, et cetera, then that complicates that conversation. I think there's a risk that it gets almost overdone and, and gets cast only as that. Because I think the reason that you give in the first place collectively Microsoft the two and a half trillion dollar market cap is we've, we assume they're gonna figure out the next turn in technology and they have such a broad exposure to everything going on, it's not just about this one bet. All right. I'll see you in the closing bell. All right. All right. That's uh, Mike Santoli still ahead. Big bets on surging soccer demand. Sports books are getting a boost from the Women's World Cup, which is ongoing. Messy mania hitting Miami this week. Our Contessa Brewer joins us next with what's at stake for the booming sports betting market. We'll be right back. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. Welcome back. It's going to be a big night for soccer in the U.S. Superstar Lionel Messi making his debut in Miami and the women's team in the World Cup taking center stage. And people aren't just watching, of course, they're betting and betting big. Our Contessa Brewer following that money, as always. Contessa? Well, so, Scott, tonight in Miami, you've got Leo Messi making his long-awaited U.S. debut in front of a sold-out crowd. Tickets are going for thousands. DraftKings tells us tonight's game has 18 times more handle that is the total amount wagered, and five times more bets than any other League's Cup game this year. And already, it's the most bet League's Cup game of all time by Handle and Bets on DraftKings platform. Not to be overshadowed by any way, shape, or form, the U.S. national women's team also playing their first game tonight against Vietnam, and the numbers also expected to be big here. WSC Sports says growth in avid followers of the Women's World Cup is set to increase by 57% compared to 2019. And look, people are not just going to be tuning in for record numbers, but those sports books have seen a big surge in betting on women's sports overall. BetMGM projects this year's tournament will shatter records to become the most bet on world's Women's World Cup of all time. They say they have seen a 40% year-over-year increase overall when it comes to betting on women's sports. So great news for all women athletes. If you're wondering who to bet on, the U.S. women's team are the favorites, followed by England and Spain. I know that that was the burning question on your mind, Scott. 
It was for sure. The other one is what in the world's been going on with casino stocks this week? Um, because we haven't talked to you since Las Vegas Sands reported. Um, that stock's down 8%. I'm going to talk to Jason in a second about MGM, which he owns. But LVS, for example, is down 8%. You follow all of these stocks. It's baffling because they had a really bullish earnings call and they beat expectations. I, I do wonder whether there's so much um, the, the expectation now because of MGM Resorts and Las Vegas Sands keep reporting quarter after quarter of blowout earnings on the Las Vegas Strip, that there was some anticipation by investors that Macau might follow that same trajectory. And of course, the uh, the visitation is still only roughly about 50 percent of what it was to pre-pandemic levels. And so uh, the, the fact that they are still profitable and, and almost a billion dollars in property adjusted EBITDA, which in gaming is the important earnings metric, is really remarkable. I don't really get it. And I've asked in the company what they make of it. And they shrug their shoulders, too. Yeah. Uh, stock's down 8.1% this week. Uh, Contessa, thank you very much. That's Contessa Brewer. So, Jason, as I said, you own MGM. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a huge winner this year, up almost 50% year to date. So, I mean, for us, actually, we're, we're considering trimming this name. Um, you know, coming into this year, I think that we were looking at maybe some of the other names like Wynn Resorts, who have more exposure to Macau. Um, MGM only has 14 percent exposure to Macau. So but they are starting to build their infrastructure there. Bet in MGM is a nice catalyst for the stock. But I think it's, it's run a lot already. So I think it's, it's for us, it's we're, we're looking to take some off the table. The notes in front of me says Joe hates casino stocks. <laughs> You want to expand on that? Oh, you know that. I called them dinosaurs in the desert many years ago. Um, I've just never believed in the balance sheets mm-hmm. of a lot of casinos. I got you. A lot of it is, is, is tied to uh, the potential Macau opportunity. Um, now, if you look at price, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in what I said, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to own them either. Okay. By the way, don't forget, you can watch full coverage of the Women's World Cup on Telemundo and Peacock. And another reminder, next week on July 25th, that is Tuesday, you can join me in Los Angeles as CNBC and Boardroom host Game Plan. It's a high-powered event bringing in the most influential leaders across the sports landscape. For details, scan the QR code on the screen right there or visit CNBCEvents.com slash Game Plan. Final trades are next. Hope you'll join me closing bell today because AI leaders are at the White House, including that gentleman right there, Mustafa Suleiman. He's the Inflection AI co-founder and CEO, the co-founder, of course, of DeepMind as well. He is going to join me after the White House meeting. Talk about exactly what happened in the room, what he thinks might happen going forward in terms of regulation, et cetera, as it relates to AI. So I hope you'll join me in a couple hours time. We're looking forward to all of that. Shannon, you have a thought before we do finals? Yeah, next week, watch the healthcare sector. You've got drugs, disposables, and insurers, growth in procedures, people going back to the doctor, good for the first two, maybe not so good for the third. All right, Jason Snipe, what's your final trade for us today? I like Apollo Global Management here. Fixed income flows have been really strong. They raised the guy in the recent quarter. I like it here. Okay, uh, that's Apollo. Joey T. Jeffries Financial Group, getting into private credit lending, $1.5 trillion industry, new asset class on Wall Street. All right, so we're trying to hang on to gains here. The Dow is going for its 10th straight day. It is still in the green. The S&P 500 is as well. The NASDAQ, as you see, though, has dipped negative, kind of hugging the flat line. I'll see you on the closing bell. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Mm-hmm.